Good morning. It really is good to, <clears throat> to see you this morning. I, as you know, when I uh, come here, I, I usually spend a little time meeting, meeting you in the pew because I don't always have the time to do that after the service. Um, this time, I'm, this Sunday, I went to the nosebleed section. <laughs> at least we call it that and we, when we're at games. When we're at church, of course, we have finer words for that. We call it the balcony. As you know, I'm not standing on the platform. I'm on the rostrum. We, we know the right words. It really is good to see you. I wanted to begin this morning <clears throat> by asking you if you, during this week, have thought about number one, numero uno. If you're taking good care of number one. Now, I take it for granted that none of you are confused about what I mean by that. You're all thinking about yourself, aren't you? And if you're really, really good, you're thinking about someone close to you. We kind of do that. It's just the way we have been trained to think. We are so uh, focused on us. We learn how to write things that will highlight our abilities. When people send out resumes, when they uh, try to explain to others why they in particular should be considered for something, they highlight their own accomplishments. And I'm not here to say anything necessarily bad about that, but I hope we this morning at least can consider an alternative for us as a church. I think we consider these things and it has become an ever-increasing kind of uh, approach to life that we need to express who I am as an individual. And we consider that identity Maybe I can talk to us this morning about who we are as a church. Our identity. We are 132 years in. How are we doing on the identity issue? You know, there are various ways of, of being shaped if you will, some we would call today everything has an eye, so you're eye-shaped, which of course reminds us that we can shape ourselves. That's the focus of that. Of course, there's another thing we might call that we are as a community, as individuals, truly we should be as Christians, christ Shaped. When we talk about identity, that mean, may be what matters the most. To be Christ-shaped, forged by Christ. We become community-oriented. We become mission-oriented. Focused. 
That's not true if you're eye-shaped. So let us consider this together if we can. Maybe another heading would be, are you truly driven by what God wants? Maybe I should start also by asking what is so obviously the question for so many people when I talk to them, what church do you belong to? And they prefer that I've said, where do you attend? Because that's let's committal. And invariably I get words, this church or that church, because I like it there. I get a lot out of it there. I like the music there. And sometimes, just to be honorary, I push back and say, what if God hates it? And I don't say that to suggest that God hates certain forms and certain patterns, but most people I talk to have never even thought of that. Talk about what they get out of it, how they like that kind of music. Never had the thought to think, what if God hates it? I'm not saying that he does. I'm certainly not suggesting that there are certain kinds of music or styles that God prefers over others as we could completely figure that one out. But it is worth a thought, is it not? We're not here for what we get out of it. We're here for what God should get out of our praise and our song and our commitment to him. That is what worship truly is. I'm going to talk tonight, and I'll see you there, as I say, every Sunday, and it's growing in a bigger sense now, but I need to make sure that we see that. I'll talk tonight about examples of worship, and I hope to see all of you there and all those that you invite. The text today speaks to us about being Christ-shaped. It kind of highlights with some very exciting words, actually, something that runs contrary to what we normally talk about and think about when we are expressing something. It doesn't say, I can do this. It says, Lord, if you will, you can. That's a word that points forward to new opportunities. It's in Luke chapter 5. We were in Luke also last Sunday. So I think some of you would know how to find it. Just get to the New Testament. If you get to John, you're too far. If you're still in Matthew and Mark, just keep going. Lord, if you will, you can. We're on the threshold as a church to a new time a new era, if you will, a new future with God. And the emphasis here is so significant because it highlights for us that we are not dependent on our own abilities, our own driving force. We're not saying, I will and I can. We're saying, Lord, you can. 
Can we read from verse 12 in Luke's fifth chapter? <clears throat> While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When you affirm Jesus' power, you will see him act. I don't know if you noticed, and I ask you every Sunday to keep your eyes in the text. That's exactly what we're going to deal with and nothing else. Notice, if I ask you, where was this man again? <clears throat> you would have no idea because it doesn't say. What was his name again? You don't know because it doesn't say he was just in one of the towns and one man came up. There's no way we can hide us in any excuse here that, well, that was in this particular place where these particular things are going on. No, this is just in one of the towns. It is like in Nacogdoches and it's one of the people there. That is, it's one of us. Just one place. This happens. And it screams out to us as we read this text, it is not about our ability, it's not about your ability or your skill, it's about God. When you affirm Jesus' power, you will see him act. You know, sometimes we, we say, you know, we need not to think bigger than this. We need to have like a God-sized dream. And most of the people I've talked to, when they say that, what they mean is large, beyond what we just kind of can come together and just kind of think about. But really, a God-sized dream or a God-sized challenge is nothing other than a dream that requires his interaction with you for it to be accomplished. A dream that makes you dependent upon him. That's a God-sized challenge and a God-sized dream. Things that we can do on our own is not very God-sized, is it? Not even great things we can do on our own. But the fact that Jesus, when he is affirmed that he will act and will see him act, is such an important point to notice because it takes us to some extent out, takes the pressure off, and it allows us to place the future in God's hand. 
And when you look at this text, this seems to be in a repeated situation from the pages of Scripture. Something happens. Something God-sized happens when people affirm the power of Jesus. That's really what it means to be Christ-shaped, forged, if you will, by Christ. You do what Christ would do. You rely on his will and his power, not on your will and your power. I want to bring you to a couple of examples, one from Scripture and one from today, in our world today. I think most of you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For those of you who might not, Daniel was taken captive with a big part of Israel on their first on their first round of of capturing people from Babylonia. They were there. Nebuchadnezzar had built this giant statue and he forced everyone to worship at the feet of that statue. Word got out that there were three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were not going to do that. And what Nebuchadnezzar has said was that all those who are not doing that, they're going to be burned. He had these hot, hot furnaces that people are going to be thrown in. And they say when Nebuchadnezzar confronts them with this, Nebuchadnezzar says, furious with rage here, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? And so he gets soft for a moment here, right? We're in chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 15. He says, well, if you're ready to do it now, you're okay. But if you don't, you'll be thrown immediately into the furnace. Now listen. One of the most riveting things about affirming God's power that we have in Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And no sooner does this stop, Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. He asks them to fire up these furnaces so they get seven times hotter than usual. He throws them in, and what happens? They had just affirmed God's power, and God shows up. If you don't know the story, I want you to read it. It's in Daniel's third chapter. Just read 
the whole chapter. Powerful stuff. Now today, you find on what we call the Southern Hemisphere especially, tremendous examples of people affirming God's power. Against all odds, even in the most poverty-stricken layers of society in that global south, if you will, in Africa, South America, Asia, and so on, people, groups of Christians, even from the most shunned groups of outcast people, you find these Christians who will stand up and unhinderedly, unashamedly, unequivocally affirm Jesus' power. And you see now in a measure that has only rarely been seen even in all of church history how God reveals his power not only in people but among people to such a degree that not only are individuals finding God's saving grace but whole societies are changed by this. Affirming Jesus' power will make you see him act. We got examples of this even here and on the northern hemisphere where we all live. People who in spite of whatever may face them Stand up, bluntly, unashamedly, unequivocally, proclaiming and affirming the power of Jesus. And it changes everything around. So let me ask you this simple question, just as simple and as quietly as I know how to say it. How long has it been since you told someone that you know Jesus can? Jesus can solve your issue. Jesus can heal your sickness. Jesus can heal your wounds. Jesus can. Rescue your marriage. Jesus can bring your family together and on and on. How long has it been that regardless of where you are in whatever setting you may find yourself, you are affirming Jesus' power unashamedly, unequivocally, even unhinderedly. When that happens, friends, Right here in this beautiful city of Nacogdoches, in this whole region of East Texas, you will see not only that your own, but its whole church's future will be changed by this. When you, wherever you go, willing to affirm. Jesus' power. There's so much to be said about this. I'm 
conscious about time. So let me push forward just a little bit. And just notice how this opened up. A new reality for all things. And we're going to get back to more specifics about this. But if you want to open the door for Christ to do his work right here in your neighborhood, among your friends in this church and from this church, it begins with you affirming Jesus' power. Jesus, if you're willing, you can. I know you can, and I trust you will. We become Christ-shaped as we make that the pattern of our life and our engagement with people. I want you to notice what happens here. Jesus is touching the untouchable. He is loving the unlovable. He is forgiving the unforgivable. And Luke is underscoring that force in the strongest way by showing Jesus' presence and his willingness and his love to touch this person that was so outside of everything. In fact, for Jesus to do this, he had to transgress, if you will, step over all the norms that everybody had about how to treat situations like that. This is an amazing thing. And you should think his disciples had learned that when they're walking to the temple. This is Luke's first manuscript right here. He wrote two scrolls. The first is called the Gospel. The next is called the Acts of the Apostle. Luke wrote both of those. And he opens that. Luke does the second volume. Now, after he has talked a little about the resurrection of Christ and then the coming of the Spirit, the first real event you see that they're doing as they're walking out, going to church, they meet someone at the gate, beautiful, and he's asking for money like he's always done, and they say, let me affirm in Jesus' power. Silver and gold we have not, but what we have we can give to you in the name of Jesus. Stand up. And walk. See, Jesus shows his hand and his power when we affirm it. I'm trying to wrap my mind around the situation where everybody knows if you are a leprous person, you have to be shunned from everyone and everything. You cannot talk to a leprous person. You're certainly not supposed to touch a leprous person. You're not supposed to be close to them. You're not supposed to be in community with them. You're supposed to walk in a big kind of uh, circle outside of them, far away from them. You're supposed to shout to them when you see them, stay away from me. They're supposed to shout to you, don't come anywhere close to me, just stay away. And Jesus walks up. As he's shouting to him, affirming his power, he walks up 
and touch him. Can you even imagine? I'm trying to wrap my mind about how that would work, what people around him would have thought. He's touching the untouchable, loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable. And the leprous person have felt that from everybody. And now he's feeling the warm hand of Jesus around his shoulder. That person that everybody else scorned, looked down upon and said, you can't love someone like that. He now felt the love of Christ penetrating, even vibrating through his body. It's an amazing thing. The person that everybody else said, he's unforgivable. He's lost. He heard Jesus say, I will and I can be clean. Are you getting this? This is like an amazing thing. He takes this person and he lifts him out of the community that he knows and transform, uh, transports him into a new alternative community, if you will. You know, community... Heals. When you're isolated and you're on your own, all kinds of things get scarred and difficult. If you're warmly embraced in community, you find that there's healing power. That's the calling, friends, of the church to be that alternative community to what we have around us. You see, the only thing this person has done, his only merit, if there was any, that was his, was that he heard Jesus and he spoke out to affirm his power and then those words came back with greater love than you'll ever hear. Be clean. You're forgiven. How would that even be? Some of you may sit here this morning and say, I know what that is. It radically changed my life. Others of you may sit here and say, I've heard that said before, but I don't know what that means. So let me Repeat what is said here. It can happen also in your life. You know, some of us get stuck in the if, if you will, rather than in the you, if you will, you can. And the leprous person overcame all his fears when he reached out and affirmed. Jesus' power. I want you to notice another result here that is just as, as powerful as anything. Just think of the restoration of this fellowship I talked about just a second ago. Notice what has happened here. They were, as I said, effectively placed outside of community. Once the 
sickness of leprosy had been identified, they were shunned from relationships with anyone. The only thing that could possibly lose them from that was if in some miraculous way, healing occurred in their body, they showed themselves to the priest and the priest declared them well. So now imagine. I always like when I read biblical texts to see what would I have experienced had I been right there. Imagine not only the emotional kind of thing that would have happened to him, as this isolation now was moved away. But even the prickling in the whatever that is in the body as his flesh, the meat of his bones, if you will, are being restored. Not only was his illness healed, but now again, he could sit at the table with his family. He could stand at the church or the synagogue and the temple even with raised hands, holy hands, praising God next to someone else. He could walk in the street without having to be shouted at or shot himself. His fellowship in that new, for him at least, community had been restored. I had a student a few years back, he's an undergraduate student, 19-year-old, and he came up to me one time and he said, Dr. Vaughn, I need to learn how to learn to trust in God. I have never known anyone who did so. I was astounded. I need to learn how to learn, to trust in God. I have never seen that in real life, so to speak. I wonder how you feel at this point. There's a lot of people in this world. There's a lot of people outside these very walls. You don't have to go many streets over, maybe not even one, until you find people who for all practical purposes feel like they were leprous. They experience that other people see them as unlovable, untouchable, unforgivable. Friday. Let me read from New York Times. This Friday. Not five years ago, this Friday, two days ago. Suicide in the United States has surged to the highest levels in nearly 30 years. A federal data analysis has found the increases in every age group. The suicide rate for middle-aged women has jumped from 45 to 64 had jumped, excuse me, they have jumped by 63%. For men, middle-aged men, 43%. The general rate has increased, not got to, 
increased by 24% the last 15 years. This is amazing. The rate rose by 2% per year starting in 2006. In all, 42,773 people died from suicide in 2014 alone. And most of this comes from a feeling of unworthiness, loneliness, lack of community. Kind of like the leprous people felt. I don't need to be, I don't mean to be morbid, but I do need and mean to be clear. We need, this world needs, this place needs people who are not shying away from expressing what was expressed by this person in the text, simply saying, Jesus, you can. People who bluntly, unequivocally, unforced, by themselves from their heart, affirms Jesus' power. Maybe I can ask in this way, and it's a challenge to all of us. I'm not excluding myself in this. This is truly a challenge to all of us. How long has it been since God, on the background of our testimony, your testimony, has revealed his power among the people? that you meet. Since people, how long has it been since people have been restored to fellowship with others? Since unforgivable, quote unquote, people have felt forgiven and unlovable felt loved. You know, we can be an instrument for this not only in our own lives, but among people when we affirm Jesus' power. Look at verse 15. When you affirm Jesus' power, crowds gather. This is like an unbreakable formula. It happens again and again and then again. It's so repeated almost that we're tempted to say this is an unbreakable rule in Scripture. Jesus reveals his power. People gather to hear, to see, and to be touched. I've said this so many times and I want to repeat it again. To be a church is to be primarily a community because a community heals. Programs make us active. There's nothing bad with that. But community heals. We know one another's name. 
We love on one another. We see those in pain. We see those who need a hand. We know they're part of our community. It's also why we never speak about where we attend. We say, I belong to First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. You attend the concert, you attend the theater show, you attend the football game, but you belong to the community we call church. We're at the threshold to a new time, a new future. And as a church, as we consider how do we do mission, God's work, community-oriented, mission-focused, how do we do this? Well, if we want to see people crowd together to see and hear and be touched by Jesus, we need to be aware of the reality that is in this text. You know, I challenge myself with this a lot on various levels and in different kind of ways. If faith is an aside, an add-on, something that adds to our lives, but it's not the central focus, it just makes it better, it is good, but it's not necessary, then in the end it is not important and it is, as I just said, not necessary. It's good. There are a lot of things we do that are good. They add good things, but when the minute they are not necessary, it goes when things are crowded. Yes? What is necessary does not go. So I ask myself very often, is faith so central that I can say this is what creates my identity. I am Christ-shaped. That's who I am in a time when everybody wants to kind of parade their identity. Can we say the identity we have as a Christian is the one we have from Christ? It is so easy to confuse godliness with busyness or productivity with activity. But everyone who has met Jesus and who calls him Lord also lives with his personal call. He has entrusted to us that very call and given us gifting to live it out that we can translate and move the very identity he has given us into service for him. And you may ask, where do we find the kind of extra surplus of energy that, need, that is needed to touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, and forgive the unforgivable so that crowds gather. I'm convinced from this text and from so many other texts of scripture, it happens when we affirm Jesus' power. That's a lot of people 
who throughout church history has always been the case, and I can, I can vouch it's the case regardless of which side of what ocean you're on, who say that, you know, if the church would just start doing these things, this, that, and the other, it would be a lot better. But can I say to this, friends, there is no thing the church does outside of the gifting God has given to those who come together because they're called by his name. Yes? This is about us. He has called you to affirm his power and for that he has entrusted you with gift that you can do it and that you can make it visible and clear wherever you go inside and out. So the surplus of energy needed for this to be God's tool in East Texas, even in Nacogdoches, in such a way that people crowd to see and to hear and to be touched by Jesus comes when you affirm him. And when that affirmation comes to be visible, in that church, that community that God has called together because he's called individuals and they find that they can never express who God is alone. No one ever can express who God is on their own. But together, we become his people. Father, I ask even with these feeble words, that you by your spirit will touch us and move us and generate from the bottom of our hearts, even from the very level of our gut, that what we want to be about is to be individuals and a people who affirm Jesus' power. May we see it, Father. May we see this come to fruition even here. Because not only do we need it, may we come together as individuals and as a church and say, Jesus, you can use me. You can. Send me. You can. Give me the boldness to speak to those that no other people would speak to. You can. Give me the energy to touch the untouchable. You can. Oh, Lord. Amen. Friends, you need to respond. As we're singing the next song, some of you are more bold than others. Some of you may be willing to come down and, and bend your knees and pray right here. Others of you may just want to rib off that thing that you tear off from the, the connect card that you tear off from the bulletin. Write down a prayer request. You can put it up here when we're done and hand it to one of us. 
Or you may want to join the church, but you don't really want to come up forward like this. Just put your name down and say, can I talk to someone? And we will call you and talk to you. However the Lord is moving, we'll be happy to talk to you even here, even now. Use this moment, friends. We can't hear a text like this and just act like, okay, oh well, we'll go on. Let's stand.